Hey, it's Greg Lauer, and welcome back to the Illusions Podcast. This is episode three, and we'll be picking up with chapter one, so hopefully you have already listened to the previous episodes, episode one and two, where we did the introduction and foreword and began chapter one. If you have not already listened to those, I'd recommend that you go back and listen, perhaps even before this episode, but if you just can't wait, let's just pick up on here together. Uh, In this first chapter, as I mentioned last time, this first chapter is formatted as if it's on notebook paper and it's got all these smudges and like dirt and greasy thumbprints and stuff. Towards the end of the book, the reason for that becomes really, really apparent. Um, And I don't want to do any spoilers, but I think it's really cool how this first chapter was formatted on notebook paper. And I believe that the writing is in Richard Bach's own hand, but I have not been able to confirm that yet. Um, He is a remarkably private person for having done so many, so many books that have come out into the public eye. And it is very difficult to get a hold of people that represent Richard Bach and get firm answers to some of these questions. Uh, In some cases, it seems like they just want to not have to deal with silly questions like mine, when I just ask, hey, is this in Richard's hand? And in other cases, it seems like they like the ambiguity that it may or may not be. And I don't know that I would lose anything by knowing definitively whether that's in Richard's hand or not, but I can certainly understand his choice not to be definitively public about that. So picking up in chapter one and paragraph six, and as I mentioned before, all of the paragraphs in chapter one are numbered, which of course makes it easier to discuss them here on the podcast, but because none of the rest of the chapters have numbered paragraphs. But I think that may be how Richard actually wrote all of his books with numbered paragraphs where he and his editors could refer to specific paragraphs to make it easy during the editing process. At least that's one reason I, th- I think he may have done numbered paragraphs. So jumping into chapter 1, paragraph 6. It came to pass, because of the crowds, that the several foremen and shop managers bid the master leave his tools and go his way. For so tightly was he thronged that neither he nor other mechanics had room to work upon the automobiles. Paragraph 7. So it was that he went into the countryside, and people following began to call him Messiah, and worker of miracles, and as they believed, it was so. And that picks up on the theme we talked about a little bit last week, well, not a little bit, actually at length, on as we believe, so it is. And yes, as I mentioned last time, that concept goes clean back to ancient religious traditions, That concept goes back to the Bible, if you're Judeo-Christian, the idea that as we believe, so it is. The idea that our belief shapes our reality, that is an ancient, ancient, ancient belief. And it is kind of a central theme throughout this book. But one thing I find fascinating about paragraph 7 is, at some point, the main character is going to start teaching the lesson that we are all our own messiahs or can be messiahs, by which I mean appointed of God, or anointed by God for our specific mission, whatever that mission is in our life. And the interesting thing for me in this paragraph is Richard makes it a point to let us know that 
the people around him have so much belief in his ability to be the Messiah and the, the, the worker of miracles that it is so for them. And what they miss, and I think the interesting thing is we all miss this, but what they miss is they could easily have been their own Messiah. They could easily have worked their own miracles if only they believed that they could. But they missed it because maybe it was hiding there in plain sight. Or maybe nobody told them, or maybe they just never realized that, hey, if I believe in this person, I could maybe just believe in myself, and the outcome would be just as good. It's kind of a fascinating idea, because I know I have fallen prey to that idea myself, that it's far easier for me to believe in someone else and their power than it is for me to believe in myself and my own power. Maybe you have fallen prey to that same thought process. And maybe this is the first time you're seeing that reflected back to you. I don't know, but it's an interesting thought to think about, huh? So paragraph eight. If a storm passed as he spoke, not a raindrop touched a listener's head. The last of the multitude heard his words as clearly as the first. No matter lightning nor thunder in the sky about. And always he spoke to them in parables. And the first time I read that, I, I highlighted it and underlined it and realized... Well, you know, that is true of uh, Jesus as well. Jesus is quoted in the Gospels in telling his disciples that at a certain point, he's only going to speak to the disciples and the crowds in parables. And part of the reason for that is too often when we see the truth in plain sight, we either ignore it or we refuse to accept it. Because maybe it seems just too good to be true, or too simple to be true, or too easy to be true. So I find one of the most fascinating things to be that all of the ancient master teachers tended to use parables or stories. And I know part of the reason for using parables or stories, we as people tend to remember stories and engage with stories far more easily than we do with just statements. So maybe a big part of it is just because it's easier to use stories, but maybe a big part of it is because we too often reject things that are told to us when they seem too good to be true. I mean, we have been taught for decades now, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And when we run into some wisdom that is put into easy to think about and easy to remember phrases, things like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I've had a bunch of people tell me, well, an apple a day keeps the doctor away is so simple, it can't possibly be true and it sounds way too good to be true. But I have seen dozens of studies that have proven that eating an apple a day provides all kinds of different nutritional value to the human body, and it can help prevent disease. It can help prevent certain illnesses. So in other words, an apple a day could keep the doctor away. According to dozens of studies I have seen, all well-researched and well-peer-reviewed studies, so things that could be considered reliable. But it seems so simple that it's easy to reject that advice as well. So maybe whoever came up with the idea that an apple a day keeps the doctor away, maybe if that person had come up with 
some mystical-sounding parable to explain it, we may have accepted it a little more easily. Then the other thing about speaking to people in parables or moralistic ideas and wisdom ideas and truth ideas being put into parables is as our awareness increases, as our spiritual awareness, our mystical awareness, our religious awareness, our scientific awareness, or just our awareness of the world around us, as that increases, we can extract more and more wisdom from those parables and apply them to more and more situations. And I think that may also be a big factor in why Jesus chose and why the Messiah in this story chose to speak in parables. So moving on to paragraph 9, and this one has been devastating to me over the years, and we'll explain why in just a second. And he said unto them, quote, Within each of us lies the power of our consent to health and to sickness, to riches and to poverty, to freedom and to slavery. It is we who control these and not another. End quote. And this is so devastating to me because the first time I read it, I of course thought, well, okay, I've got the power of consent, so if I want riches, I'll just consent to riches. And if I want to be healthy, I'll just consent to being healthy. But then I started to think about it. Okay, the other thing that this is telling me is, and, and I'm gonna, let me start with the word consent. Because right now, not too many of us use the word consent. But we all use the word permission, or we all use the word approval. So... Within each of us lies the power of our permission to health and to sickness, our permission to riches and to poverty, our permission to freedom and to slavery. It's we that control these and not another. So take a step back and think, what is something in your life that you do not want there? And why is that in your life? Well, the sad fact of the matter is you've given your consent to that, you've given your permission, you gave your seal of approval. And let me just be quick to say right now, if you've been the victim of a crime, I am not, not, not by any means saying that you gave that event permission to come into your life. If you've been the victim of a crime, or if you've been the victim of systemic racism, or if you've been the victim of hatred based on some factor that's outside your control, please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying you gave permission for those events or those situations to come into your life. But what I am saying is, if there is something in our lives that's holding us emotionally hostage... And that is something in our lives that is exerting power over us emotionally or mentally. Part of the reason it's doing that is we are giving it permission to do that. And it is up to us to stop it. Now, going back to being the victim of a crime or systemic racism or some other hatred based on a, some factor that you have no control over, I'm not at all trying to say that the emotional damage from those things is because you've permitted it. What I am trying to say is, please, from this point forward, 
give yourself permission to exercise control over how much damage those situations do to you emotionally and mentally. In other words, if you're going to need therapy to get over the trauma of a criminal event, that some sort of crime that was enacted upon you, please give yourself permission to get the therapy you need and get past that. If you have been the victim of systemic racism, please exercise the power to counteract that. There are certainly dozens of things we can do, we can all do together, to counteract systemic racism and stop giving our consent to that kind of hatred and that kind of ignorance and that kind of stupidity. And I'm sorry, I mean, those things are there and those things must be addressed. And I don't want anybody to confuse what I'm saying or what I think Richard is trying to say in this too. Yes, there are many things outside our control that will happen to us in this lifetime. I think he is going to try and explain why those happen to us, or at least posit one theory about why those happen to us throughout the pages of the book. But right here at the outset, I want it said, I am not by any means victim shaming or victim blaming. So I am not by any means saying that we gave ourselves permission to be victims. I am saying we now have the power of consent to seize back the power from those events and to begin to heal our own lives for our own sake. And then on a much lighter, less intense note, what other results do we have in our lives that we don't like, but we gave our permission for those results to be there? For example, I weigh more than I want to. I have consented to that. I gave myself permission to be overweight. I gave myself permission to eat too much, and I gave myself permission to exercise far too little. And in so doing, I gave consent to my body to be less healthy and more sick than it needs to be. Then I am by default giving myself permission or approval or consent for the natural consequence that comes from those decisions. Where is an area in your life where the result is not what you want? Or there's something in your life that you just don't want or you don't approve of, at least right now, but when you think about it deeply, you gave your permission or your stamp of approval or your consent for that result to be in your life, whether you gave it that permission on purpose or whether you gave that permission by default, by simply not choosing some other avenue. Are there results in your life that you would change if you could? And then it's up to us to realize in the simple wording of this paragraph, we can make those changes. We just have to change what we are giving permission in our life. Yes, that paragraph shook me to the core. I ended up releasing a whole bonus episode about it recently. I released a whole episode on my other podcast specifically about this idea because there are far too many areas in our lives that we just tacitly, passively, by default, give our consent or our permission or our stamp of approval to be less than. And I think it's time for us to recognize we have that power and take control of that power for ourselves and start giving consent 
to different things in our lives that yield better results. And hopefully you will agree with me and join on that journey with me. If you don't agree and you would like to discuss this a little more, then I hope you will write me at illusionspodcast at outlook.com and let's uh, let's kind of dialogue about that. Let's talk it over. Let's discuss it. And uh, maybe you can even shed some new light on this paragraph for me. So I'm going to go ahead and reread paragraph 9 because it plays so well into paragraph 10. Paragraph 9, and he said unto them, quote, Within each of us lies the power of our consent to health and to sickness, to riches and to poverty, to freedom and to slavery. It is we who control these and not another, end quote. In paragraph 10, a millman spoke and said, quote, Easy words for you, master, for you are guided as we are not, and need not toil as we toil. A man has to work for his living in this world, end quote. Paragraph 11, the master answered and said, quote, Once there lived a village of creatures along the bottom of a great crystal river. 12, the current of the river swept silently over them all, young and old, rich and poor, good and evil, the current going its own way, knowing only its crystal self. And 13, each creature in its own manner, clung tightly to the twigs and rocks of the river bottom, for clinging was their way of life, and resisting the current what each had learned from birth. And 14. But one creature said at last, I am tired of clinging, though I cannot see it with my eyes. I trust that the current knows where it is going. I shall let go and let it take me where it will. Clinging, I shall die of boredom. 15. The other creatures laughed and said, Fool, let go, and that current you worship will throw you tumbled and smashed across the rocks, and you will die quicker than boredom. 16. But the one heeded them not, and taking a breath, did let go, and at once was tumbled and smashed by the current across the rocks. 17. Yet in time, as the creature refused to cling again, the current lifted him free from the bottom, and he was bruised and hurt no more. 18. And the creatures downstream, to who he was a stranger, cried, See a miracle! A creature like ourselves, yet he flies! See the Messiah come to save us all! 19. And the one carried in the current said, I am no more Messiah than you. The river delights to lift us free if only we dare to let go. Our true work is this voyage, this adventure. 20. But they cried the more, Savior, all the while clinging to the rocks. And when they looked again, he was gone, and they were left alone, making legends of a Savior. And that's the end of that little parable within the parable. And the thing I love about that little section, that little parable within this whole larger story is it sets the stage for the entire rest of the book. And it also gives us kind of a clue on what the reluctant Messiah, the main character, Don Shimoda, what he is going to be talking about throughout the pages of the book. And I like all the way back at the beginning of that little story, a millman spoke and said, yeah, those are easy words for you, for you're guided as we are not. And you don't need to toil as we toil. A man has to work for his living in this world. And already 
they have had the opportunity to recognize for themselves and maybe the truth was a little too much in plain sight. But already they've had the opportunity to recognize for themselves they could just as easily be their messiahs and their workers of miracles because they believe in him. They could just as easily believe in themselves and work their own miracles. And yet they're not. And now they are stuck in this conventional belief that they have to work. They have to work for a living. This guy might be different. He might have some sort of guidance we don't have. He might be different. And then he teaches them in a parable. And I love this little creature parable because it's true for all of us. How often do we cling to the rocks and the twigs of our conventional wisdom? Or how how often do we cling to the rocks and the twigs of what we have been taught is the way we're supposed to live? How often do we cling to the rocks and the twigs of other people's opinions of us and what we should do with our lives? How often do we cling to the rocks and twigs of fear? And that might be the fear of the unknown because, yeah, just like that little creature... You don't know what's at the end of that current. You don't know where that current is going. You don't know where that current is going to take you. It's all a matter of trusting that the current will do what the current is going to do and trusting that you're going to be blessed in that process. Whether that blessing is material or whether that blessing is spiritual or whether that blessing is mental or whether that blessing is some form of all those together. How often do we cling to those rocks and twigs at the bottom of our own little river and we're getting battered around by the current, but we just refuse to let go of those rocks and twigs at the bottom and we just resist that current and in the process we live lives that are far less than we could have been living and we're getting battered by the current in the process and One of the things I like in here so much is, yes, when he let go, he got tumbled and smashed by the current. But over time, as he refused to cling again, the little creature was lifted free from the bottom. Yes, he was originally kind of tumbled up and smashed, but he learned his lesson over time and he refused to go back and cling again. And then eventually was lifted free from the bottom and then bruised and hurt no more. That in and of itself is an absolutely fantastic lesson. Or I don't know that I'd go so far as saying a promise. Because I don't know that Richard Bach wanted to make any specific promises with this book. And then even towards the end of the book, one of my favorite things is from the Messiah's Handbook. There's a quote that says, everything in here might be wrong. So he's gone through 192 pages of just jam-packed incredible wisdom and gets to the bottom of the, the, the heap or the bottom of the stack, so to speak, and says, well, all this might be wrong anyway. Part of that is because we may or may not choose to believe it. We may or may not consent to the idea that any of this is true. And if that's the case, we're going to hang on to the idea. We're going to cling to the rocks We're going to cling to those twigs at the bottom of our current situation if we don't give any of this the power of consent to be true for ourselves. And I love when this little creature gets downstream and runs into others 
other little creatures similar to himself, but they don't know him because they've been stuck to their own rocks and twigs in their little area, never giving up, probably never branching out, never seeing anybody come past. And all of a sudden, this little guy goes by, and they're like, holy moly, look at that. This guy is doing some kind of a miracle. He's like us, but he flies. And they automatically proclaim him Messiah and say that he's come to save them. And I think one of the fun things is he says to them, I am no more Messiah than you. And I think there's two ways that we can read that sentence. At least two ways, but the two that come to mind really quickly for me are, I am no more Messiah than you, which might mean, since you're not a Messiah, I'm no, I'm not any special, I'm no special person, I'm no, I'm no Messiah either. Or another way to see this is, I am no more Messiah than you, which could be taken as, I may be a Messiah, but so are you. And I love the ambiguity that Richard puts in here so often that lets us see these things from different perspectives. And even from different perspectives, they're very, very valuable to us. Even from all the different perspectives we may see these things from, the value might be in eventually realizing all the perspectives. And that's another value that may be found by teaching in parables. As our awareness increases, we get to recognize different perspectives. And as we recognize different perspectives, that can lead us down whole new trails of thought that can be valuable in gaining wisdom or recognizing wisdom or taking advantage of wisdom. So I want to go ahead and stop there for this week's episode. There has been plenty jam-packed already in this week's episode. So we'll go ahead and stop there. And if you find any value in what we're talking about here and some of the ideas that I'm kind of expressing and running through and and trying to uh, maybe see these things from a slightly different perspective and help you see things from these slightly different perspective, if you find some value in that, would you please share the podcast with a friend? Uh, Whatever platform you're listening on, if you please hit the subscribe button so you never miss either a regular episode or a bonus episode. And then if you have one minute to spare, if you could leave me a rating and review on whatever platform you're using, the ratings will help me improve the show. More people will find the show and be exposed to Richard's ideas and then learn for themselves where they have the permission to exercise power in their own lives and create the results they want. So until next time, I hope you're having a wonderful day or evening or night whenever you happen to be listening and uh, we'll talk to you in about a week or so bye for now